Good morning, Grace Church of Orange. Let's start with a question. Now, this might not apply to all of you, so I realize this. If it doesn't apply to you, just listen in, okay? I'd like to know what the biggest causes of stress were for you this week. What were your biggest causes of stress besides people? People are a given. You know that people cause stress, but what caused you stress this week? I'm going to venture to guess that um, the dollar may have caused you stress, and I'm going to venture to guess that the clock also caused you some stress. These two things in my hands, the clock and the dollar, probably were the cause of, of much of your problems. You were trying to pay bills, you were trying to get places on time, you had all sorts of things going on, and it's very interesting. These two things can sometimes feel like they're running your life. In fact, they're nicknamed, right? Father Time and the Almighty Dollar. Sometimes they take up way too much of our time and energy. And Does anybody want that dollar? Anyone? I saw your hand first. And I hit someone who's here for the very first time. <laughs> with a dollar. She, she could say, you know what? I went to church today. I got hit with a dollar bill. <laughs> Next week, they're throwing 20s. <laughs> I got that from someone else, actually. But you can keep it. No big deal. We do get stressed out about time and money, don't we? Today, I get to preach a passage of Scripture that actually is about money. It's about, in large part, how we use the money we have. And I believe that this is very crucial for us because how you spend says a lot about you. It's like a, a biography of your life. It reveals who you truly are. But there's something else about this passage of Scripture that I get to preach today. It is a passage of Scripture that every preacher wants to preach and every preacher wants to run from as fast as they can. Because you want to preach it because you know how good it is, how, how important it is for the spiritual health of believers. But you also go, hey, there's a lot of errors, there's a lot of excesses that have been pet perpetuated by people teaching this passage of Scripture wrongly. Here's how some of you have heard Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 12 taught. All you need to do is give and God will bless you. Prosperity gospel. Health and wealth. Or maybe, maybe it's guilt. You know what? You need to give. You're not giving. You need to give 10% starting right now. We'll pass an offering plate, you know, three or four times. We'll make sure you give 10%. There's a lot of things that go on when you hear this passage of Scripture preached. And so a lot of pastors like me go, you know, it might be better just not to go there. It is a tightrope for sure. Now, it's very timely as well. In the providence of God, He has worked it so that last week we just presented our 2014-2015 budget to the congregation. Next week, we're going to be confirming that budget with a vote because we're on an April 1 budget year. And uh, it's very interesting. I just want you to know, I didn't schedule it this way. I did not plan this out like, oh, I know. I'll be preaching through Malachi 
on, and I'll get to the money part at the exact week in between giving the budget out and voting on it. This will be perfect. We'll, we'll like triple the budget. Everyone will say, no, this is way too low. And so I just want you to know, I didn't do that. I didn't plan this out. God did, though. And that's why I love expositional preaching so much, seriously, and why I'm so committed to it, where we basically go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And no one who gets up here and preaches at Grace Orange comes up here with an agenda that they're going to now find Bible verses to tack on and make the point. We already, we're convinced God has already made the point. So the point of the passage will be the point of the sermon. And we will work as hard as we can to be uh, faithful and accurate with the text, as well as trying to deliver it in an interesting and engaging manner. But today, we, we get to see where God is telling his people, you've robbed me. So take your Bibles, please, and turn to Malachi chapter 3. If you're able, please stand with me as I read God's word. I'm going to read verses 6 through 12. Malachi 3, verses 6 through 12. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you, and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. This is the word of God, and let's pray together. Lord God, we come to you today, and we come thankful that we are alive. For those of us who have come to faith in Christ, we are thankful for eternal life. And Lord... I trust that you have prepared our hearts to receive your word and not just to hear it, but to be intent on living it out by your Spirit's power in Christ-honoring ways, in gospel-saturated ways, in life-altering ways, really in eternity-affecting ways. And this is what we will trust you for. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please be seated. So now that you are sufficiently nervous that we are talking about money, we've already taken the offering today, so you're kind of off the hook there. Unless I decide we're going to do a special offering today, most pastors that I know, including me, 
avoid talking about money. In almost eight years here, you have not heard me preach on money very often, and that is really to my shame, not my credit. We want to be like Jesus, and Jesus spoke a lot about money. In the Gospels, I I think it's like a quarter of the time, 25% of the time, Jesus is talking about money and possessions and wealth and our use of it. But in neglecting to speak often enough about giving, and our reasons sometimes are, are good, we don't want to be lumped in with the crazies or the greedy or people who are fleecing the flock, though the world lumps us into that category anyway. Sometimes we don't preach on money because we are convicted ourselves as pastors. But the connection to one's spiritual health cannot be missed. And when we do not give money its rightful place, we rob God's people of the joy of giving. So I would just say to you today, I'm really sorry that I have robbed you of the joy of giving so much. Today, though, I want to focus, and really, I've told you our motive in preaching at Grace, but be it on money or marriage or just trusting God, whatever the passage of Scripture, we want to handle it accurately and explain it engagingly so that you, we, would all align our lives according to Jesus and the Gospel. So let's look at this passage. If if you were going through this passage of Scripture and you, maybe you had a highlight marker and you said, I'm going to highlight all the things that God is highlighting in this passage, here are the things that you would see. The first thing you would see is that God is highlighting who He is. He is highlighting His unchanging nature. Verse 6, He begins, I, the Lord, do not change. So God doesn't change. And it's a declaration of His immutability. That he is always good, always kind, always loving, always gracious, always just, always holy. He is always what he is and he does not change. His character, his attributes, changeless. Now the religious world, even the world in general says, no, that's not the way it is. God changes to fit you. God, you, in fact, the irreligious world says you are God and so you can do whatever you want and whatever whim you have, whatever thing you want to do because you are God. Plenty of people will say, though, that, that God just changes to fit your desires. The Bible says God doesn't change He doesn't change with the times. He is always consistent in his character and his attributes, who he is. He doesn't change. Now I want to point out to you a repeated phrase. It's always important when you're looking at God's word to look and see what phrases are repeated. Now this is a phrase that you probably have missed. You probably ignored a bit because it seems like, oh yeah, I got that, but I just read it four times in this passage. And as you go through the book of Malachi, it is repeated over and over again. It's the most repeated phrase in this book. It's the phrase, says the Lord of hosts. Says the Lord of hosts. God Almighty, the Lord of all the angels, God over all, says this. Now this book began in in chapter 1, verse 1. It began like this. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. Malachi didn't wake up one day and say, I got some things I want to say to the people. I got some stuff that's just really been bugging me and I want to get, get this off my, my shoulders here. 
No, God basically says this is the oracle of the word of the Lord. This is the only time in prophecy where the oracle and the word, those two words are used in the same sentence. It's very strong. The burden of the word of the Lord. This is what God has to say to his people through Malachi. Malachi means my messenger. So God's messenger is bringing his word. And so over and over again in this letter, we see these words, says the Lord of hosts. And it should alert us that we need to listen because God is sovereign, because God is our authority, and and we should honor him and obey him. So first you see that God is highlighting the fact that he is unchanging. He is holy. But the next thing he highlights, it's kind of like a gospel presentation here. God is holy, man is sinful. Because the next thing he highlights is their sin. He's highlighting the fact that they needed to change. He's saying, I don't change, but you need to. So we're the ones that need to change. Verse 7 says, From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my word. You have not kept my word. They've been recycling the same sins through generations. God's saying, this is, this is not good and it's been going on for a long time. They valued their glory and their word above God's. And so God says to them, return to me. Basically, repent. Surrender to me. And he says, and then I will return to you. Says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? And this series is called Objections Overruled. God is overruling his people's objections over and over and over again. They keep objecting to his very kind and gracious and loving and firm correction. He says, you need to return to me. And they're like, how shall we return? And it's not like, hey, we just don't know the way. Not like Thomas who says, Jesus, we don't know the way. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not that kind of question, though. They're saying, Why do we need to return? We don't need to return. We haven't done anything wrong. They were so delusional. They needed to change. Here's this extravagantly gracious and merciful God, their Father, their loving Heavenly Father, saying to this excessively wasteful and depraved group of people, please come home. He's saying, please come home. Return to me. It's very personal. God is saying, come back to me. You've gone away from me. This is not just going away from some idea in the sky, but you are going away from the Lord of hosts, God Almighty. This is big, and this is personal, and he's saying, come home. I want to see your face. I want to fellowship with you. I, I want to... I want to forgive you. I want to be merciful to you, and I'm devoted to you. I'm committed to you. He's the covenant God. He says, I'm not going to stop loving you. Verse 2 of Malachi chapter 1, I have loved you. He says, come home. Break the pattern of resistance. Yield to me. That only happens when something happens in your heart. This is a heart issue. You say, no, you're talking about the wallet. No, it's a heart issue. See, God is is not going 
for the jugular yet with them. He's not getting hyper-specific with them. He's, he's going macro here. You've gone against me and my word over and over and over again. The only time we, we turn and want to go home like a prodigal is when we get sick of ourselves. When we say, you know what? I'm tired of myself. And I'm tired of how sinful I've been. And I'm tired of how selfish I've been. And I want to stop scheming and planning and controlling. And I'm, I'm just, I want to say no to myself. I want to say yes to God. That's when you confess your sins. That's when you're contrite over, over things that have happened. That's, that's when you have courage. You find courage to change. Because God gives you the power to change. It's primarily the heart issue. Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Watch over your heart with all diligence. See, from your heart flows the issues of life. It flows the springs of life. Jesus said, The mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. Just recently I mentioned, I think it was two weeks ago, but I said, You've got to guard your heart. And it would be really easy to go, yeah, I've got to guard my heart from being hurt by everyone all the time. Everyone's always going around hurting me. And my heart, it's hurt. I need a Band-Aid. I need a crutch. I need a cast. But that's actually not what I was getting at when I was talking about guarding your heart. Even in Proverbs 4, watch over your heart with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. It's basically watch your heart so it doesn't flood out on everyone else and drown everyone else. It's the idea of your heart's like a tornado and it's going to break out on the town if you don't guard it. It's like your heart's a guard dog in your backyard and you know it's prone to chase people down and so you keep it in the backyard behind the gate that's locked. God doesn't change. We need to change. That's what God's highlighting here to his people. God wants people to be changed and align themselves with him. But then he gets to the next thing that he highlights. Now he's going for the jugular. Now he highlights their specifics and he'd gone macro with them. Here's your your big idea. You're going away from me and not listening to my word. Then he says... You've got to stop stealing from me. The response is, we're not. What are you talking about? And he says, well, I'll give you exactly what you're doing. You're, you're robbing me in your tithes and offerings, contributions. And God says, will, will man rob God? The way it's phrased is basically no one in their right mind would have the nerve to do that. But God's people did. He says, you're robbing me. And you say, you have the nerve to reply, how have we done it? They're incredulous. They're like, there's no way. How have we done this? There was a tithe that was required. That's where a lot of people go, yeah, I knew you were getting there. You're going to say, I got to give 10% of everything I earn gross to God, to the church. And I'm not going to say that today. Put your mind at ease. You're not going to hear that from me today. But the interesting thing is people 
stop so short, they go, yeah, the tithe is the 10%. In Hebrew, tithe means a tenth. But there was more than one tithe that was required of God's people. A lot of pastors preach it and like, yeah, the 10%. It's like, no, it was the 23 and a third percent. You had the tithe on the land and the flocks. You had the tithe they gave the, the, the priests. And then every third year you had a tithe. So there's a th- another three and a third percent every year. Literally, you were paying about 23 and a third percent. They were under a theocracy. This was their, really their taxation. This was to take care of all the things that needed to be taken care of. Priests would use the money for for the sacrifices they would use the 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 goods for that and for their their domestic needs and for emergency needs that would arise they would take care of the congregation and they would pool these contributions god says his people were robbing him and they're doing it in real time it's happening right then it's active sin against the holy god Tenth of all the produce and the flocks and the cattle belong to the Lord, given to the Levites, the services. And God is condemning them and saying, this robbery is epidemic. The whole nation is guilty. The outbreak has happened in everyone. Verse 9, he says, you're cursed. Nobody wants to be cursed. God says you're cursed. They're not blessed. They're not experiencing God's blessing. In fact, they were poor. They were miserable. They were oppressed. Things were not going good. And, and God is saying, the reason why is because you're robbing me. He pinpoints this very practical crime against God. Stealing. Cheating. Most accurately, defrauding. It means not only taking what is not yours, but holding on to what belongs to someone else. this case a percentage of your income was due god and so god says failure to 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 bring that amounts to robbery so they're holding back on god so they're cursed stiff penalty there's this domino effect that's happening this cause and effect they've corporately cursed because of their combined crime against god he wasn't blessing them. Not, he's not answering their prayers. They were in this situation, God says, because they had robbed him. They had mismanaged his funds. So this is where a lot of error comes in and people start teaching you know, the word of faith movement and the health and wealth gospel and the prosperity. It's you just, you, you give this so you get that. You want God to bless you, just Give. People will preach it all the time. Pre- give 10% and God's going to bless you. Uh, your, your barns are going to overflow. You'll have all the cars you want. You'll have every kind of house you want. Get a big gold watch. Whatever you want. And this kind of teaching is, is ruining people's lives because they think they have to give to get. It's greed. It's feeding people's inner greed. It's, it's always a heart issue. You, if you love money, you're going to use God to get more money. If you love God, you're going to use money to serve His purposes. So now, God highlights in verse 10 
basically exactly what they were supposed to do to make it right, to get right with God. Malachi is all about getting right with God. Malachi is all about returning to God, surrendering to God, repenting, and, and doing what is right. And so, verse 10, he says, Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. So there it is. There's the answer. You're like, well, there was a big problem. They were robbing from God, and so God gives them the very simple answer. It'll be very painful for them as well, but he says, you just bring this in. He's basically saying, just do what I say. He does it in a very loving and firm way. That's what God is saying. Do, do what I have said. And, and, and then he says, and put me to the test with it. This is very interesting. This is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me. Every other place is, don't put the Lord your God to the test, sinfully. Don't put the Lord your God to the test, sinfully. Here God is saying, put me to the test righteously. I am going to keep my word I'm going to keep my promises. Remember, I don't change. You're the one that needs to change. You do what I say, and it'll go better for you. So he says, I'm going to open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So people take it very self-centeredly, and they'll say, yeah, I'm going to get everything I want. That's not what it says. It says that there will be no more need. He's talking to the whole nation. They're supposed to bring all this stuff together, and there won't be any need. Acts chapter 2 it says that they gave all their, all their goods and they shared and that there was no needy among them. There is no needy among them. That's what it says. God is saying there won't be any more need. Not just in, in what you want. He said bring the whole tithe in. Temple was the warehouse basically for the produce the Israelites would bring in. The Levites, again, would distribute those for sacrificial purposes, the domestic needs, and emergency needs that would arise. And God says, you do that. You put me to the test. So here's the remedy. Easy. Just change your ways and start doing what's right. God is loving them so much that he tells them this very earth-shaking news. But remember, these are delusional people that do not know that they're robbing God. So this is like big news for them. And then God says, I will, I will do this. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Now the question we have to answer on this is, is that a promise for us? Or is that a promise that was just for them? It's a big question. It's a big question. Is this a promise was it just specific to them or, or is there something there for us in terms of a promise? If I've looked at this, what I have come to conclude is it was a specific promise to them about a very specific thing that was going on, but it contains some very important stuff for us that we cannot cling to as a promise, but as principle, which is very important. It points us to what God says about giving. And especially in the New Testament, what, how, you, how you take what God says about giving in the New Testament and fit it over here with Malachi chapter 3. And so the question of, you know, what does this mean for us as we give today? How should we give to God is, is one that, you know, we can go to several key passages in the New Testament. 
But the principles are also found here in Malachi 3. So I want you to go first to 1 Corinthians 16. And answer, we're going to answer this question, how should you give to God? Now there was a recent survey done just this month by ECFA, Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. It was their first annual church stewardship survey, which means there's going to be one next year as well. And church leaders were asked to rank the five areas where the greatest obstacles to giving are located. Number one came in as spiritual complacency, spiritual laziness on the part of people. 48% of them said that was the biggest reason. Now, the current economic environment got the most top five votes, so, but it came in second. And of course, the current economic environment, I mean, we live in a current economic environment that is not exactly suitable for, for easy giving. But the third greatest obstacle was telling. It was inadequate understanding of biblical generosity. That there is on the part of many people that are professed to be believers an un- inaccurate view of what it means to be biblically generous. So as we, as we go through these things, and I'll give you a number of them, how you should give to God, remember that this helps you have an understanding of how to give. Okay? So first of all, 1 Corinthians 16... In the first two verses, how you should give to God, the first thing we see is you should give regularly. Regularly. And you should give regularly to the Lord's work, basically in your local church. You look in the New Testament, and they were local congregations pooling their resources. Uh, there's plenty of over and above giving that, that should take place as well as God leads you, but it shouldn't take away from your primary giving. But it's, it's regularly. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, verse 1, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so also you are to do. So churches were supposed to be doing this. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so there will be no collecting when I come. And so they were going to carry these gifts, and these were gifts that were given to other local churches. It's meet pressing needs. So the first thing is that you should give regularly, set aside something to be able to help others. And it even says, store it up. God says in Malachi, put it in the storehouse. So there will be food in my house. And it will be, I'm going to bless you so there will, be no other, there will be no need. The need will be met. So you, you, you set aside regularly. And a friend of mine, John Adams, says it this way. Don't you dare give your leftovers to God. I quote. Don't you dare give your leftovers to God. And uh, you go from the first of, of, your, of how God has given to you. That's the second thing, by the way, proportionately. You give regularly. And you give proportionately as God has prospered you. Paul here is speaking of the necessity of regular and proportionate setting aside support for the ongoing work of the Lord. You think about Ananias and Sapphira. They had an issue that they they were lying to the congregation. They lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit because they basically said, we're bringing this gift and here's the whole proceeds and it really wasn't. They didn't have to lie, but they did. I think about proportionate giving when I think about a guy named Antonio Rossi. I first heard about him in the 1980s. He died, actually, in the early 90s. You might not have heard of him. Um, I am very interested in Italian immigrants, and he was one. He came to America with the clothes on his back. 
which you may not have heard of him before, but you heard of the company he started, Tropicana Orange Juice, Tropicana Company, which is now the largest supplier of all sorts of delicious juices. And when he first began this company, he said to the Lord, and I read that one of his relatives wrote a book about his life. That's what I read this book. And it said that he said, God, I'm going to give you 50% of everything I make. You're like, woo, that's a lot. Yeah, 50%. If you had a dollar, 50 cents. Okay, million bucks, half a million bucks. What happened as his company started to grow and really prosper, he realized, wow, that 50% is bigger now. <laughs> it's proportionate, so it's more. And so he decided to kind of cut back on that and figured God would understand. What he says is he realized God shrunk his income back so that he could afford to give 50% again. So for the rest of his life, 50%, he learned a lesson there. You should give regularly. You should give proportionately. And I think sometimes... You know, we say, oh, it's the economics or whatever. Maybe God shrinks our income because of our greediness. Maybe God shrinks our income and, and it doesn't go as far because of our self-centered lifestyles. I've been very convicted of this recently and I think there's something there because we live in one of the most affluent countries in the world, the most affluent country in the world, in one of the most affluent states in that country, in the most affluent, one of the most affluent counties of that country many of us will say oh but we're poor no we're not 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 compared to the rest of the world who are living on subsistence pennies a day at times if anything but we should give regularly we should give proportionately and then i want you to go to second corinthians chapter eight second corinthians eight and nine is the other place i want you to go because you should give to God generously. Generously. And, and several times in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, we hear of generosity. Look at verse 7. Paul is saying, As you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. The act of grace he's talking about is the act of giving. Giving to the Lord and his work and other places it talks about you go over to chapter 9 and it talks about uh, generosity as well in verse 11 you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity which through us will produce thanksgiving to God but you're to give generously we're, we're instructed to excel in this grace of giving and remembering that everything we have is owed to the one who gave everything to, for us and made himself nothing for us. Many of you might think, well, I don't have anything to give right now. I'm really poor, and so I have nothing to give. And if that's your mindset, you'll never be generous. Because if you can't give out of your poverty, you surely won't be able to give out of your wealth. Eighteen fifty-six. T.V. Moore said this about this passage. We may try to defraud God, but in the end, we'll only defraud ourselves. If we would have God open his treasury, we must open ours. 
And a lot of people say, oh, there you go. You're going to 10% again. Actually, no, not talking about 10% at all. Talking about being generous with what God has blessed you with because he's the one who gave it all to you. He's the one that gave you everything you have. It all comes from him and it really all belongs to him. Many Christians will say, there's about 25% of Christians that actually tithe, give a 10% of their gross income to the church. But that's kind of across the church in America. But it's very interesting. Most people will say, yeah, I gave God his 10%. The 90 is all for me. And they, they hit it to the penny. Well, you should give generously and not rob God, not withhold. You know who robs God? The one who withholds their time, the one who withholds their giftedness and the money that God has given them. And they're unwilling to part with created things and worship the creator. Think about it. If we are unwilling, if we are tight-fisted with created things, it's because we're worshiping the created things more than the creator. God is basically saying to his people, stop robbing me and do what is right. Stop using my treasure for yourself. It's a mindset shift. It's the idea that it's not mine, it's all his, and if it's all his, it's not mine, so I'm a steward, and then it leads to an action shift. A lot of us will say, you know what, I really, really want to be generous. Well, then you need to give purposefully. You got to give to God regularly and proportionately and generously, but also purposefully. Verse uh, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 9 says, as you have purposed in your heart. So you need to purpose in your heart what to give. You have to decide what you're going to give. We We all often have these good ideas. And we were like, wow, that's a great idea. Well, it's not a great idea yet because it's it's just a good idea because it hasn't happened yet. But it's a good idea to give. And then we we stop at the feeling and we never do it. And we say, oh, it was the thought that counted. And not to the person who needed that money. Okay? It, It wasn't the thought that counts. God said it's the action that counts. Faith without works is dead. If you don't back it up, if 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 your if your bank account gets it's a good thing that we, we all can't see our, our balance sheets today, right? Some of us would be very embarrassed probably at, at what we're spending our money on. But we're to give purposely. Make up your mind to give. And, and really, Jesus said the, the, the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart, right? Well, the pocketbook reflects the condition of your heart. So you should give purposefully. Another way you should give to God is cheerfully. It says in verse 7 and 8 about how you should give not under com- compulsion or you know, forced to, but willingly because God loves a cheerful giver. And the idea there is that you're open-handed, not tightly closed fists. And, and there's a root word there about being cheerful that means to basically be almost gracious and, and hilarious about the giving. It's it, that you're wonderfully excited about being able to do that. But some of you are going to struggle about this. And I'll tell you why. You think that God is asking for too much. You say, 10% is a lot. So God is asking for too much. Then you'll say, if, you, if you're the one that goes to the, the tithe, or you'll go, you know what? Um, I really would rather get than give. A lot of people would rather just receive. Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive. He said that in, uh, he's quoted in Acts chapter 20, verses 33 to 35. That's where that is. is. And basically, they've got to remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It's more blessed to give than receive. You've got to give 
cheerfully. You should also give gratefully. 2 Corinthians 9 and verse 10 and 11. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. So people are praising God. They're, they're, they're grateful about it. And, you know, God's grace. If you've experienced God's grace in Christ, you're going to want to be, show gratitude. And then you should also give one more, actually two more, worshipfully. You should give worshipfully. Oh, excuse me. No, sacrificially. That's the last one. I gave the last two right there. Sacrificially, then worshipfully. Sacrificially. So here's where we get into the question of, is it 10%? I'm like, no, it's not 10%. Okay? In the New Testament, it's not 10%. Now, you could also ask, is it 23 and a third? You could do that as well. It's, it's not a percentage. So the question, what about tithing? Are Christians supposed to tithe 10% of their income? Very good question. I think a lot of you are like, you waited till the very end to tell me this? Of course you did, because you want to keep me in suspense, because I need to know this answer. You see how much I have left for boba or you know new sunglasses or new car whatever it is that you want so should you tithe and my answer is no you shouldn't tithe you should give sacrificially sacrificially now romans 6 tells us we're not under law but grace the old testament you have this 23 and a third gross income tithe to god you think about 10% tithing, about 25% of Christians tithe. The national giving average among Christians is 2.5%, though. 2.5%. Here's the sad part about that one. In the Great Depression, 3.3%. 3.3% in the Great Depression, and the national average now amongst Christians is 2.5% of income. What that means, if we are average... I say we're above average. Let's say we're just a little above average. We should exceed the budget that we just put out by three times. Three times. And that we would not have one needy person among us. We would not have one needy person among us or around us. Because we, and I I guarantee you, we exceed the budget by three times because people actually maybe start at a tithe. We will be tempted to use it on ourselves. But the challenge would be to use it on those who are needy among us and around us. James Montgomery Boyce put it this way, although the tithe is not mentioned, the giving of weekly offerings is. And more importantly, it is generally the case that in the New Testament, the obligations of the Old Testament legislation are heightened rather than lessened. I'll give you two examples. Jesus raised the expectation. Don't murder, he says. And then he says, and and don't even hate. Uh, don't commit adultery the law said he says don't even lust so jesus is raising the bar so the law is interpreted in the fullest measure fullest measure so while we are not required to give a specific tenth of our income it is hard to think of a normal christian blessed with the fullness of the gospel of jesus christ doing less but here's the answer for you whether you should tithe or not you figure it out you give generously and gratefully and sacrificially and you figure it out. You go home and you sit down. This is what you should do. Go home and sit down with your spouse or with your family and talk about your finances and figure out where it's going. It's like, is the air conditioning on and the window open? Because it's like right out the window. 
Where is it all going? And how much are you giving to the Lord's work? And are you giving regularly and proportionately and sacrificially and cheerfully and, and worshipfully? You figure it out. But let me just say this. I have a friend, Tom Lynch, that used to say it this way. The standard is always higher under grace. And so, a 10% tithe would be a really good baseline starting point. Not the, the top of the, of, the, of the echelon of giving. You should give to God worshipfully. He says that people are going to glorify God. Look at verse 13 of 2 Corinthians 9. By their approval of the service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ, the generosity of your contribution. You should give God worshipfully. It should be an act of worship for you to, to gladly give what God has given you. Verse 11, he says, if you do this, I'm going to, for them, it was rebuke the devourer. They were going to still get fruit and the vine would yield instead of fail to bear. That's the last thing that God is highlighting here in this passage. He's going to bless them when they change their ways. That's the principle. God is going to bless you when you change your ways as it relates to giving. He says in verse 12, The nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. People that don't believe are going to see what goes on in your life, and it's going to be turned into a testimony to the goodness of God. So the idea is, be free to gratefully live. God's going to bless your obedience. Get right with God and do what is right, and God will bless you, and, and others will glorify God for that blessing. If you love God, you will use the money He gives you for His purposes. But if you love money, you're going to use God to get more. God is not a slot machine, God is not a vending machine. He is not short of cash and he doesn't dispense it at your whim. What we've got to do, as the worship team comes back up, what we've got to do is look to Jesus because the gospel of the grace of God in Christ inspires humble repentance and obedience and worship. And our giving must be tied to the grace of God in Christ, to the love of God in Christ. Jesus gave his life for us, so we must spend our lives serving his purposes, his gospel purposes. You look at your bank account today and you're going to be like, man, I can find a lot of reasons not to give. But if you look at the cross, you can't help but give. Lord God, thank you that you are the one that we look to and we give because of all you've given us. We don't give to get your more of your favor or more stuff but because you have given eternal life to your family we want to serve you with everything we have lord may the clock and the dollar not rule our life may jesus rule in our hearts all things in our lives under him we pray in christ's name amen